Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrant's 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrant's and visit ibrant's.com. Ibrant's may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrant's may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Welcome to Hello Somebody a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia, where we rage against the machine, where we raise our voices against injustice and stand up for justice, where we embrace hope and joy with an optimism for a brighter, more just future. Each week, I'll be dropping knowledge, whether it's a solo episode from me or a hearty discussion with esteemed guests doing great things in spaces and places of politics, entertainment, social justice, and beyond. We get real, baby. I mean, really real. We get honest. We get up close and personal for you. Yes, you. Because everybody is somebody. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim. Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. Hello, somebody, and welcome back, family, to Hello, Somebody. At a time when voter suppression, ballot box trickery, and folks who will do anything to block your right to vote, has reached new lows in this country. That has happened. I think now is not the time to stop talking about voting rights. We got to talk about voting rights all the time. And people of color, especially black men, have a very significant impact on voting, even though the system does not treat them as if they do, but they do. When we actually organize, we win. When we vote in record-breaking numbers, and we do the damn thing. And we need to look out for our interests more than what we do and stop giving our vote away to people. And speaking of doing what we do in a deep and beautiful, magnificent way, with us today is W. Mondale Robinson. 
we are going to discuss how important this work is and why we have to continue to uplift this topic and get out there in the streets and motivate people to vote for their best interests and for the interests of our larger community. Mondale Robinson is the founding principal of Black Male Voters Project, the first and only national organization with a sole purpose of increasing Black men's participation in the electoral politics. He is also running to be the next mayor for the great city of Enfield, North Carolina. Welcome, Mondale, to the show so much. I'm so glad you are here and I'm ecstatic about the work that you are doing. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful day that I get to talk to you. I'm so excited about being here. I'm excited to be here with you. As you all know, I often talk about voting. So I got a man with me, Mondale. He has been working all over this country. He knows a little bit something about the struggle when it comes to voting, especially in the 21st century. Not a lot has changed or I don't know, Mondale, when people say the more things change, the more they stay the same. We find ourselves right now in one of those moments where it's looking an awful lot like things are staying the same. So voting is so important and it is important that we exercise exercise our vote, even in our anger, our disappointment, our what in the hell is going on, our WTF. I get it. I got you on it. But I still I still believe that we should go vote. And it is one of the most powerful and loudest ways that the country sees and hears you. Most people are not going to run for office. You got to vote and vote is not the beginning of the process. It's the end of a process. There's a whole lot that has to go on when it comes to voting and participating. And we have an expert on that. So at a time when voter suppression is happening, the ballot box trickery is all over the country. States where GOP uh, led legislatures and governors and secretary of states, they doing everything that they can to turn back the hands of time. And the folks who are doing, they doing it, they doing it all. And not to be partisan in this conversation, but Mondell, I'm not being partisan, right? I'm telling the truth about who is doing the bad things when it comes to pushing public policy that makes it hard for people to vote. We got to be honest about this. And, and people talk about, you know, voter suppression being a partisan issue. It's not a partisan issue. And this is not to say that Democrats are amazing. It's to tell the truth, though. Republicans That's right. all over this country are trying to prevent black and brown people from going to the polls. And we should be extremely clear, especially black people from going to the polls, because when we turn out in high numbers, it's to the detriment of them. And part of that is because it's, it's not a chicken of an egg thing. It's if you change your policies where you're recruiting black people or you're passing policies that are not restricting our ability to be equal or get closer to equity in this world, then maybe we would vote for some Republicans, but that's not the case. And I know black people aren't a monolith, but we vote monolithically, basically. I mean, there's no demographic in this country that vote together like black people. And I'm talking about black women and black men. Of course, black women outperform black men by somewhere around 10 percent historically. But what we do know is there, there are no white men and white women voting together 90 percent of the time. That's not happening with our Latinx brothers and sisters or anyone else. So they're trying to do everything they can to destroy the black vote because it's not their base and it's never going to be their base as long as they are advocating destruction to women's ability to choose what's good for their health destruction of us being having a chance to have real criminal justice reform and and all these other things that republicans are, are set out to do with their absent i call it the absent platform so yeah i, I think it is, yeah. it is it's a partisan issue but it's a partisan issue because they made it that way and it's also a racist issue because they made it that way as well that's right and that's historic on the racial mm -hmm. front and it used to be a partisan issue in the reverse uh, you know when we talk about the 19th century talking about the 1800s it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. The Democrats were the party of the slaveholder mm -hmm. and doing everything that they could after the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment to the Constitution, giving us equal protection on the law, making black people you know, citizens and giving black men 
the right to vote, but there was a structure in this country and it, it still has its, I want to call it a shadow of itself in the 21st century, mm-hmm. you know, and it is piercing like that same energy. I, I don't know, my dog, this is the way I think of it. The same energy that has always been is meaning that there are people with that same mentality in places and spaces of power having the same mentality of the people of the 20th century, the 19th century, the 18th century that did not want to see black people be equals and any other people of color to be equals and did not want to see women be equals. And so that status quo power is still revealing itself in the 21st century. People often think that just because we've conquered something, it stays conquered. Mm. It doesn't stay conquered, mm. you know? Absolutely. And the work that you've been doing, Black Men Vote, I mean, you've been all over the country uh, with that. And I, I want to talk about that. But before we go into the work, I want to talk a little bit about you first, and then we're going to get to the work. I want to reverse this thing because your mission is part of who you are, but it's not the only thing that makes you who you are. So I got a fun fact. You know, as I was reading more about your bio, I learned that you are one of 13 children. Yeah. Oh. So can you just share with us a little bit about, you know, what it was like growing up in your youth, poverty, just the struggle? Like, what was it like and what motivates you to do what you do in the present? Because you're going to evolve. We all evolve. But the Mondale that right now, what made you be who you are in this moment? And where do you see yourself after this moment? There's a joke between uh, me and Congresswoman Tlaib about, you know, she's one of 14, I'm one of 13. We say if we get together, we're a whole voting block. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's that a voting true. block right there. Um, yeah. But, but I, I think I think my childhood is actually the reason I am who I am right now. I, I didn't grow up wanting to be a firefighter, a police officer, an astronaut. I just wanted to be a race man. And I learned that at 14. I think what happened was uh, I was extremely young when I realized that, you know, poverty was a, a uh, situation that was designed for us. And what I mean by that is if, if you are black and not in poverty, you should consider yourself one of the blessed souls because that is not the case of black people, especially in North Carolina. I'm 43. So my dad was the son of a sharecropper. My grandfather uh, was a sharecropper. My father got a felony at 17 for hitting the white man's son who owned the farm for smacking my grandmother and knocking her off the porch. Nothing happened to the white boy, of course, but my father got a felony conviction. That felony conviction followed us my entire life. As I watched my dad, who could do so many things, lay concrete, fix roofs, train dogs, fix cars, and yet and still, we still had trouble making gravy enough for 13 kids. At first, I resented my dad, like, how could you do so much? How could you be so great, teach so many people in the neighborhood how to do so many things, and yet and still, we can't eat? Or sometimes we can't have a house without a hole in the floor. So that coupled with the fact that when I was 14, my mom told me about her being sprayed with a water hose downtown by the white guy at that time was a fire chief. But when I was growing up, he was the mayor of my hometown. And so I felt helpless seeing this white man and I couldn't do nothing to for spraying my mom with a fire hose because she was black in downtown and that was her crime. So I, I used to dumpster dive to help my parents pay the bill. Back then, we used to have sodas in glass bottles, and you can get 15 cents for those bottles back then. I remember that. I was dumpster diving one day getting bottles, and I found this book called The Souls of Black Folk by W. DeBose. I read that, yeah, I read that book four yeah. times, and now I realize that I didn't understand it completely. But I knew at that moment that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to see how I could be that mystic that he talked about, about the black preacher, that organizing yeah. talked about that existed in, in, in black people and, and the purpose of the barbershop and also the stuff 
you know, that the black community did for itself. And it was subversive, even though white community didn't recognize it. So I started reading everything I could about black people and our history. Back then, we had these things called yeah. encyclopedias. Yes. Just on that point, <laughs> I, I remember my grandmother. And I want to go back because you went so, I mean, I am, I am stuck in place with what you just said happened to your father. I can't move on from it. So I want to back up on it a little bit, but I didn't want to stop your flow because you were flowing, you were vibing and I don't want to stop it, but I just stopped it just now. When you talk about encyclopedias and I remember my maternal grandmother, she could, she only had a third grade education. She knew how to sign her name. You know, she knew enough to function. She was born in 1915 and she could get, a, you know, get around. She was, she was cold. She had mother wit. And I know, you know, women like that, especially you being a son of the South. I, my, certainly my grandparents are from the South, but I'm not, my mother was not. But I remember my grandmother purchasing a set of Britannica encyclopedias. And I know New Jacks know nothing about this. They just know Google. But before Google was a verb, hey. there was encyclopedias, man. And I, I just daydreaming. I can see myself laying on my belly, uh, you know, with my legs up and just leafing through the pages of that encyclopedia, trying to figure out, you know, imagining what I could be Absolutely. when I grew up. And I will forever love my grandmother who's no longer with us but the reason why she purchased those encyclopedias for her grandchildren is she wanted us to do better and have better than her absolutely i don't think i ever got the opportunity to tell her mm. how much purchasing those encyclopedias and a set it was expensive mm -hmm. to get a set of britannica encyclopedias at that time I, I never had a chance to tell her how important that was to me and how it changed me yeah i'm so glad you did stop me because you just said something that's pretty powerful i think People should understand your grandmother was born in 1918, right? Yeah, 1915. That's a few yeah. years after Frederick Douglass died. So when we're talking about what was going on in 18th, 19th century, we're talking about things that affected us in a real way. We're talking before your grandmother was born, her your, your great grandmother was living in a time right. where the 15th Amendment was a hope, probably a hope that people never thought would happen. The 15th Amendment is the amendment, of course, that supposedly gave yeah, black men the right to vote. So when people talk about uh, Republicans of today doing voter suppression or testing us, this is the normal atmosphere where black people vote. We used to have to count yeah. sugar and salt to try to register our, ourselves. So um, this That's idea right. of voting in hostile, hostile space is nothing new to us. So when you said the more they change, the more they say the same, you're absolutely right. And I think that shadow is darker than most people want to admit. The shadow that you said is still mm. the Confederate flag never went away. Uh, we celebrate the Confederate flag in a way that is beyond toxic to black people in this country. It's traumatizing. It's a constant reminder that you shouldn't be free. Mm. Man, I want that to sink in. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. We got to go back to your dad, though. A lot of things are bubbling up for me. First of all, it makes me sad. I could really cry right now. And I cry, you know, I, I feel deeply, you know, and my crying. Sometimes you cry in sorrow, like deep sorrow. And sometimes you cry in anger. Mm. And hearing you tell that story for me is both. Mm. But I want to, the reason why I want to go backwards is because it, a lot of things, you could tell a lot of things about what you just said. One, the level of disrespect for black women. Yes. Your dad was defending his mom. Right. And how black men have had to shoulder the burden of not being able to fully defend and provide for their families systemically. Mm. I'm not a man. You know, and even if we now in the 21st century parsing out what manhood should look like, I'm not here to debate, you know, toxic masculinity and all of that, because I do think that there are some things about the Eurocentric worldview that makes it incredibly difficult to be a man. And I put that in air quotes, you know, somewhat. But I'm, I'm just talking about the point of if black men are indeed equal to white men and any other man walking the face of the earth, it is within your right, like your human urge to be able to defend what is yours, either physically, if you have to, economically, socially, politically. Damn. Right. To add salt to the wound. This is somebody who was my dad's age. Right. So that means he grew up with this kid, which also means my grandmother had been cooking for him and providing for him his entire life. And he felt he had dominion over her. And everybody else related to her on that on that property because his dad, who is actually robbing my family constantly, because you never made a profit in sharecropping. It wasn't designed that way. It was designed that you you at the end of the year you owe money and you could get food possibly, but you couldn't get uh, free. So I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to imagine what my dad's rate was, but I couldn't even because this guy you grew up playing with probably till he got to a certain age and realized that you're a nigger, and he ain't, which means he owns you in a certain way because this is the same family that did own my family during slavery, right? Because you didn't get free and go far. That's that's not how the system was set up. The Freedmen's Bureau right. didn't give you money. It was part of the compromise. We'll leave. We won't fund the Freedmen's Bureau. So they'll sit right back. We'll, we'll either give them a felony conviction where they have to be sold by the form of the, sh- the state or they're going to go work back because it's the only place they can get food. And that's what happened with my family. That peonage was real. Yeah, think about it. Before North Carolina freed Black people, the state, the entire state only had four or five prisons jails 
They weren't even prison, they were jails. Right after slavery, and it jumped to some like hundreds. So they could send people right back to the plantations. People, we live in a space where we, we see police today as if they had always been there. But when, I, when, my, when my grandfather's lifetime, that farmer was his police, right? The guy who owns that farm who said, I'll kick your family off if your son don't do something uh, or if your, if your children act out of the way. Because my dad defending his mother almost cost his family that contract, so-called contract to farm that land, which is absolutely disgusting when you think about it. So where were they again? Enfield, North Carolina. Enfield, North Carolina, where you are now running for mayor. I am running for mayor. Come on, come on, talk about that. We're talking about white supremacy, but we're going to call it the shadow because I like I like that you said that. The shadow of white supremacy still exists in that town. It's 97% Black right now. It's always been 97% Black. It's only been two Black elected mayors. And the first one got ran out by a police chief and, and white. Yeah, um, because they didn't want Black people in power. The police chief used to come in when the first Black mayor, Kay Holloway, got elected, sitting there with his gun and sit in front of the front of the town meeting with his gun unholstered, looking at the black mayor at like he was going to kill him. What year was this? Yeah, in our lifetime, in our lifetime. And that's why it's important that we have these conversations, because one of my I'm going to say pet peeve just to stay kind of PG for now. But I, what you're saying is making me want to cuss. I got all types of WTFs going on right now. Black people don't understand how we must clearly understand our history in a deep way. Because we must never forget and we can't let other mofos forget either. Exactly. That's real. But we brush it off and we allow other people to make us feel some kind of guilt for wanting to understand and deeply know. Like every time I hear people say, I don't want to see another slave movie. I don't want to see. Damn it. All you got to do is watch the movie. Don't watch it because you got a choice not to watch it. Mm -hmm. But what they're saying, and I get the pain because I get in that mood sometimes, too, because around, you know, from MLK Day to end of Black History Month, you know, all many of us go deeper than what we ordinarily go. Like I go deep because it's 365 for me. I used to teach black history at Cuyahoga Community College. So I was reliving our experience at least on this continent, primarily every single semester. Mm. And it breeds anger. I mean, I, I found myself being angry. I had to bring myself down on a regular basis because when you really get at the root of what happened to us in this country and why and, and what happened to us is the footprints to why things are still happening to us in this way, it does make you madder than a mofo. And if it don't, you ain't thinking. So the fact that black people, like you said, we're not a monolith, but we do vote in a monolithic way. And when we get to this point, cause I still got to stay on your personal and I got to let you finish your story. I, I'm angry at us. And I'm also disappointed in us that we accept so little that we don't put a demand mm. for our vote. And we get so convinced mm. by these Democrats, by these liberals mm. that what's behind the door is worse. We've lived worse to me. That ain't enough. For you to say, do this, vote for me, or it's going to be worse. We've always had worse. What I need the Democratic Party to do is prove their love and loyalty to us as much as we do love as a people. Over 90% collectively, and as you said, Black women vote about 10% higher than, than Black men. Black men ain't that far behind us, in my opinion, but Black people as a whole. I just said last night, I was at an event, and I said, you know, our Latino sisters and brothers will tip out. On the Democratic Party, our Asian sisters and brothers will tip out. All other people will tip out and date somebody else, but not black folks. And you better not fix your mouth to criticize any Democratic leader of note because black folks will jump you before anybody else. 
Am I lying about that? No, you're not lying. I'm mad. I'm mad and sad about it. I think part of it is it's, it's a couple of things, right? First of all, we don't really have another option. Like if you are a black person in this country, uh, America doesn't give you an option. Everybody else has the option of pretending to be white, like two, three to three generations in, you could be white. They'll, they'll let you assimilate. If you're black, that's never going to happen for you. This country does not have a space. There's no pathway to assimilation for black people. You better preach. So that's a fact. I also think part of the misunderstanding on our vote is tied to the cycle. I mean, if you think about psychology and what Maslow tells us, uh, people without their basic needs man, can't think about things that are self-actualization, right? So yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of ways I explain this. I think the best way to say is if someone is homeless, you can't talk to them about having a savings account or vacation because every piece of money they get is about addressing something that's plaguing them. The hunger, the need for clothing to protect them from the weather or finding a hotel room where they can bathe for one night. They're not talking about saving money. I think the way that we present politics to black people in this country is the same way. Black people live on the margin for the most part. We don't have the ability to do things that are self-actualization. And the way we present the vote is just that. It comes around after Labor Day proverbial fried chicken, a church fan, and talking about this is the most important election. This is the most important uh, candidate. You got to vote for him. And I think the failure of that is it loses all the cultural competence that's associated with the 152 years where we've been fighting voter suppression, where people have been trying to keep us out of the poll. And nothing has really progressed in some of these people's lives. Like a lot of black men, when I say a lot, I'm talking about half of the brothers who are already registered to vote have not voted in five consecutive elections. Now, that means more than half of black men don't participate in politics at all because some of them aren't registered. Some of them can't register. So if you consider that number, you're looking at a serious failure of the political system. And that's why we started Black Male Voter Project. Give us that stat again. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's right about 50. It's not 50 exactly. It's like, it's like 46 percent of black men have not voted five consecutive federal elections. That is crazy. Whatever you're doing, whatever the status quo is doing, you are failing epically. These are the brothers who are already registered to vote across this country. That's the number. Then you have to add the brothers who are in prison, the brothers who can't vote, and the brothers who are not registered. And then you see an overwhelming number of black men don't vote at all. In Georgia, for instance, there's 1.2 million black men registered to vote. Of them, 460,000 were old enough to vote for Barack Obama that did not in 2012. They didn't vote for Stacey Abrams in 2018 or anybody else in between. But the green light, the goal on that is, these brothers are political creatures. There's no apolitical black men in this country. And we targeted them in 2020. And of that 460,000, we were able to get 124,000 to participate in the primary. Joe Biden can't claim credit for that because by the time Georgia had his primary, he was already the nominee. John also can't claim credit for that because he had already tried to reach these brothers the first time he ran and lost badly. Right. Come on. Uh, so but what we did do. We used local elections to excite these brothers. And we saw in the counties we were working, there were no drop off between the sheriff election and John Ossoff, who was the top of the ticket because Warnock was in a special election. He didn't have a primary. So we know there's ways that you can tie in local issues by listening to brothers, finding out what's important to them, and then making sure you have a cultural competent program that speak to the issues. What happens is our job is to move. Uh, if you think about Maslow hierarchy needs, uh, self-actualization at the top of the pyramid, basic needs at the bottom, and there's four or five steps in between. If we're successful at moving voting from the top of that pyramid of self-actualization to where Black people sit as a tool to address what's plaguing them, then we're more likely to participate in it. So that's what we do at We're Black Male Voter Project. And we just, this is why our program is not based on political science, but instead psychology. And it's the Maslow hierarchy needs lessons, and then also 12 steps of selling stuff. We use that as well. 
And what motivated you and, you know, others who work on the Black Male Voter Project with you? What motivated you to create this organization and to go as hard as you're going and to start in Georgia? Yeah, I, I was, the good thing was, I think I can pride myself in saying I never took a check from the Democratic Party at the national level. And I had already spent $750,000 of my own money trying to figure out what moves Black people that don't vote anyway. So I've been doing that for like 12 cycles. And so I spent my entire life savings on creating the BMEP additory approach. So the BMEP additory approach is already older than Black Male Voter Project. I went down to Florida and built the organizing department for Desmond Mead and Florida Rights Restoration Coalition and trained all the staffers down there in our approach. When I saw the amendment pass and outperform any Democrat on the ballot that year, I say we're on we're on to something. That same year, I did all of the power pack work, Steve Phillips in Georgia and North Carolina. I also did woke votes field work. So I was doing work for organizations, but I was like, yo, we need to be talking to black men year round with this work. So that's why I funded it. Plus, I saw white consultants spending billions of dollars on their friends to do stuff I knew was not going to move black men at all. And it also this idea that you can go to a barbershop and film it with white folk in the barbershop and talk about you having a real conversation with black men was really ridiculous to me. And it also watered down the, the possibility of what black men thought of politics. So we needed to address the idea that politics is this transactional thing that white people do every four years in our communities and make it something about our communities from our communities. So just, you know, I, I grew up when we had colors, cross colors, FUBU and all these other black, and, and I, I wanted something like that politically for black men. So that's why I created it. Not saying that there was work for sisters to be done, but I already knew a ton of sisters like yourself and so many others that were already on lock with the sisters that I needed to do something for black men. I think it's beautiful. I really do. One of the things that really gets to me a lot, and I'm not sure if others share the same anxiety and frustration, is the way the Democratic Party addresses our community. We are just the ways to a means. Like there is no real love, like that deep love. One of my mentors, uh, Mayor Frank G. Jackson, former mayor of City Cleveland, longest serving mayor here, he always says you can't serve that which you do not love. And that is real. And because it's transactional, our vote is transactional, but it's a one-sided transaction. And until we put value on our own vote, and it was something that Diddy, you know, a couple of years ago was pushing. I think some other people, uh, Diddy said, you know, he recorded one of his videos one time for Instagram. And he basically said, hey, we got to get something for this vote. We ain't just going to give it to you. And people were railing. Why would you say that? We got to get Trump out and all that. Hey, yeah. Y'all well, need to act like we got to get Trump out, too, then. Don't just expect the black community to act like we got to get Trump out. You act like it by the things that you are going to actually deliver to the black community. And if we can get more black people to embrace that, that we are powerful, not powerless, and that the Democratic Party could not win without us. They can't. So they need to act like it and stop asking us as voters uh, to act like it. But my other point I wanted to make to that point leads me right straight to black men. The Democratic Party so often puts black women on a pedestal. Now, they ain't going to do shit for us. Right. I'm talking about materially. Right. Right. Like make sure our babies are educated more than adequately. I'm talking about excellently. Right. Uh, making sure that we got excellent jobs, excellent homes, excellent communities. That's what I'm talking about. Doing something for us. Follow the policy. Mm -hmm. But they elevate black women 
And we should be. I mean, we know historically black women have been placed in a position that we have always had to come through for the black family from the beginning on this continent, you know, just on this continent, because we got a history that's bigger than this continent. I'm just talking about American descendants of of enslaved people. Mm -hmm. And this modern day black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. I'm tired of black women having to be the backbone of the Democrat. How about the Democratic Party be the backbone for black women who have been delivering their community to the Democratic Party for a very long time? But this is what they do. So they'll say all that. They'll trot us out. Mothers of the movement, all that kind of stuff. Love the mothers of the movement. This ain't about them. I'm just saying how Democrats treat us. And then they kind of put the black man in a corner and then wonder why them stats you just gave us are real because the party does not address black men. I'm not saying black women should not be lauded and lifted and recognized, but they do it in such an artificial way. The way that they do it does not leave room for the black man and the black community. So what I've said to black folks, we are not at a level of political maturity in this country where we can allow anybody to separate us. That doesn't mean black women not gonna have our little family meeting and black men have their little meeting. But when it comes to politics, we have to be together for our liberation. So you can't throw the black man away. We not there yet. So I said, we picking up other people's bad habits. Yeah. Maybe one day mm-hmm. black women will be able to do what white feminists can do. But no, we ain't there yet. And I'm not so sure I ever want to rock that way because I got a black son. And I got a black grandson and I got a black daddy and I love my black brother. I got black men and I love them. And I ain't ashamed to say it, even though y'all make me mad as hell a lot of times. Hey, hey, hey listen, I get mad at brothers sometimes, too. I, but I, I think it's an important thing that and people shouldn't like gloss over what you just said. It is absolutely designed where they feed this scarcity mentality like it can only be you or your brothers. It can only be you or your husband. Both of y'all can't come to this White House Easter egg roll, right? <laughs> so part of the problem though, sis, and I, I got to keep it a buck. Part of the problem is some of us that have got on the inside are comfortable with that idea. I agree. I never let people say that discourse about black men and black women and black men don't support black women. Because in my community, all I know support from are, are, are black women, black people. I mean, like looking out for each other. And I, and I think that's not to say that there's no inter-relationship uh, problem that happened with, in, in, amongst us, because it is. That's that's, sure. that's unrealistic to believe that. But what I do know is, like you said, our political space is not at a spot where we can just say, I'm out here for black women or black women over everything and forget everybody else. It's It's black people. It's black liberation. And black liberation does not happen with half of our, our demographics being excluded or forgotten. And I think the Democratic Party understands that in a way that they weaponize it. They needed to use black women or black girl magic so that they could push the white women's movement or the white women's mm. issues. And I, and I think and I'm not saying that white women don't have issues or like there's not sexism that affects them. But I'm saying that a white feminist does not suffer America like black women do. That's right. Them propping black women up sometimes seem like they're using it uh, for pump and show. And I think sisters, sisters deserve so much more. And I I agree with you 100 percent that we we have to be more mature in our thinking about how we when we do have that family meeting that's joined uh, men, women and non-gender conforming folk that we are talking in a way that's beneficial to all of us and not one of us. That's it. And I'm tired of being used as props and I'm tired of our people being used as props. But you're right, Mondale, there are some black people who are very comfortable with that because it edifies them. They made they come up and they really don't 
care from a systemic from we talking about changing systems, you and I. Right. We talking about no superficial stuff. Right. They don't care from a systemic angle or perspective whether or not it helps our people as long as they get what they get, as long as they can be the gatekeepers, as long as they can be invited to the Christmas party. That's all they care about. And they're not going to do anything to rattle the cages. They're not going to do anything to bump the status quo because then now they, they're not going to be in the in crowd. Right. That's a fact. That's a fact. And I, and I think and the tragedy is, I, I mean, I literally talked to a brother who is one of the Democratic leading consultants, well, black consultants. He don't make what the white folk get, but he makes to be a black consultant. Well, he told me, I don't care about, I just want the money that he said he'll even take money from the Koch brothers. And I think that type, that type of thinking from black people is beyond scary to me. You have officially said that the community can suffer whatever at any cost, as long as you get the bag. And I think that that way of thinking is so dangerous. It's also the way of thinking, that way of thinking, if we're not being mm-hmm. historical, is that way of thinking that had Martin Luther King's approval rating in our community when he was murdered at 22%. Yeah. Because he was talking That's about right. he was talking about what it meant to be, you know, what what black people were old beyond a seat at a, a lunch counter. When he started talking about the Martin Luther King about lunch counters and riding a bus in the front seat didn't get murdered. The Martin Luther King talking about equity, come on, financial equity, come on. And, and what what shouldn't be happening in Vietnam is the Martin Luther King that got murdered. That's it. Against the war, militarism, mm-hmm. poverty, mm-hmm. and materialism. Absolutely. Dr. Cornell West's book, The Radical King. See, people don't want to talk about that king. They only want to talk about the I Have a Dream king. He's all of those things. He is that king. Mm -hmm. He's also the radical king that put this country on notice. He did. And so you're right. The overwhelming majority of black folks didn't have no holler for the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I keep always try to make sure I put Reverend in front of that because that informed who he was and who he is, his spirit, his essence. They didn't have no holler. For that, and, and and we know white folks that the polling was totally, I mean, it was worse than black people, but it is a shame that black people felt that way and felt like he was going, reaching too big, you know, and it, it, there, those are things that you, people like you and, and I, we hear that kind of stuff all the time. You're reaching too big, you, you, you're dreaming too big, you're reaching too far, you know, take your time, don't be angry about it, be, I mean, I can't tell you the number of people, I look at them like they're crazy because this is the thing for me. We can disagree, You, I'm not asking anybody to agree with me, my approach, but this I do know. If you are hungry every night or every other night, mm. if you can't pay for your gas to get back and forth to work, if you work a job and you still can't make ends meet, you don't want nobody talking about we'll get there by and by. By and by. You want somebody that's going to stand up and say you need it and you deserve it right now. Yeah. And there are times where you can't be polite about it. If you're in the middle of the ocean drowning, I don't want no polite person coming to save me. I want somebody that's gonna radically like tear off clothes, do whatever it takes to come out there and save me and drowning in the middle of that ocean. And I think, Mondell, that is the place that we are right now. I think it's a place that we have always been for a very long time when it comes to the suffering that black people are under, this pressure cooker that we constantly are under generation after generation. And we only get a little relief. Like those of you who could picture those chefs that may be listening to us, the people cooking in the kitchen who have used a pressure cooker, when you gotta release that vial just a little bit but the pressure is still on it's on it's on and the pressure for us no wonder we ain't went like as a collective people in this country stark raving mad mm-hmm. it is only by the great i mean i'm a woman of faith it is only by the grace of an almighty god that we ain't just lost our minds you know that song y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here up in <laughs> here it's yeah. a it's a constant battle for us 
not to go. Yeah, that's why I tell people all the time, like when they say, oh, you fit the model of like an angry black man or angry black woman. I'm like, you shouldn't be black in this country and not be angry. Hey. Like, I, so if, if I see a black woman or a black man that ain't angry, I'm skeptical of them. Like, what you lying about? You damn what right. You about? James Baldwin said it. He said to be black in America is to be in a rage okay. constantly. I'm, yes. par- I'm paraphrasing yes. him. Yes. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Most of the time, people misunderstood what Malcolm X was saying. Malcolm X, Ballad of the Bullet speech. If you, if I, I would advocate everybody listen to the whole 54 minutes, but if you don't have time, fast forward to 24 minutes and listen to the rest of it and see, don't it sound just like Malcolm X was living yesterday? He's talking about uh, police brutality against our community. He's talking about uh, people trying to prevent us from voting. He's talking about everything that we're suffering from right now, back then. So this idea that we're not, we're not, in the pressure cooker that we're not bubbling or or those in our right mind are not bubbling about where we find ourselves politically, especially those who play politics for a living. uh, We should always come in the room on fire. I know that's always come in the room on fire. I think because what happens when we don't, we give them a pass right now. I'm, I'm hearing from a bunch of donors. Oh, we have a gap with moderate white voters. We need to figure that out. No, we don't. White voters have sold out our way of thinking since the past 40, 50 years. They're not. That's a base you're not going to win. Also, it's not a base you should be trying to win because it requires you to cut off some of us. Some of some Mm -hmm. of you bring more people into the fold. We we out here act like we're a big tip party when in actuality we're not. We're just trying to bring in more white people. Uh, If we were really about the business of being a big tip party, Joe Biden wouldn't have swore on his family name in Georgia that the most important part of the base were black voters. And he, w- he promised black voters that if we gave him two senators from Georgia, he would prioritize our issues. He gets into the White House yeah. and I ain't seen those priorities. Matter of fact, you didn't start fighting for criminal justice reform or so-called criminal justice reform or the Voting Rights Act until it was a political year. It was this year. That's right. That you started. That's right. That. And that's tacky to me. That's not yeah. prioritizing my issues. So you lied on your family name to get elected. And that's what black people say. That don't matter to me. They just going to lie and get in office. This is why black men say, don't play my face. So you take trusted messages and you send us out there and say, OK, we got a chance. This is possible with this administration. 
And then you get in there and do the same thing y'all always done. I ain't talking about how you disrespected Derek. And that's one thing, right? When you basically told them boys to sit down and shut up, it ain't happening. Yes. Within the first couple months of your presidency. And for those who yeah. are talking about Derek at the NWCP, but I'm talking about, I say slapping in the face to the black community in general. I'm not saying that the NWCP is the voice of black people or that they aren't. I am saying though, is a old institution in our community and to feel comfortable enough as the president who just lied to us a couple months ago and say that means you know something about us that we don't know. And that's something is we coming back for that vote again. That's it. And even what, 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 you know, he said to Charlemagne, the God, you know, when Charlemagne was interviewing, you know, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. He meant that just the way he said it. Just like he said it. And you got people, especially black people making excuses. You know, if you want to say maybe he said something he was feeling in artfully in air quotes, the bottom line is that the premise is still the same. Black saw, sees black people as the monolithic voting base that we are. Right. If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Now, yeah, Trump was beyond problematic because he's a neo-fascist. Right. Okay, understood. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to get in an argument with me over that. That does not, though, abdicate the responsibility of the Democratic Party, of which I am a member of, from doing all that it can to enhance and better the lives of black people. Two things can be true at once, but no, it's this man is so bad that you only can vote for me. And guess what? Because you always are going to vote for me. I really ain't got to deliver for you because you don't have any other choice. And baby, I know you don't have any other choice. Hence, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. You ain't black. They got us, my dear. And, and and primarily they got us because of leaders who, as you and I have already said, and we're going to have to do a part two on this. They relish in this because they got theirs and they don't care if we get ours. And that is the antithesis of our collective culture going back to the motherland like that has been embedded in us from our lived experience in North America in a place called the United States of America. But before it was the United States of America, we had to be together or come together because we're from different tribes. We had to come together just to f-ing survive. I- I'm tired. And it's really nice to have a real conversation. I know people are going to say, oh my God, I can't. No, believe we saying it. Thanks. I'm tired of playing games. Yeah. And I'm tired of our people being taken advantage of. And I think what, what the party refuses to do. And part of it is because they they still running Bill Clinton's playbook with the same people. People talk about James Carver like he's a political genius. He ain't. He know how to talk to white people. He know what they did. And, and what Clinton did was almost as racist as what the Republican Party did. I mean, Clinton basically killed a black person. He turned a man who was mentally five years old over to the death penalty so he can get white people, white Republicans off his back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he's also the person who gutted the social safety network as it pertains to uh, the welfare system, why, why he was complaining about people. And allowed the black welfare queen image of black women yep. to permeate. And to this day, there are white folks who still believe that when we know it's mostly white people who are on the system of welfare. And when we talk about poverty and Dr. William Barber talks about this all the time, when you're talking about now disproportionately is more black people. When you talk about just raw number, there are 140 million people in this country who are just either dead ass poor or just one or two paychecks from being right there. They're functioning poor. And most of those people are white. Right. Hence the vision that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had when he started the poor people's movement. What he was saying is that 
all of us, no matter how we identify racially, ethnically, gender wise, sexual orientation. Hey, we got to get together because the real family meeting, the big family meeting, because we got many family meetings. But the big family meeting is about all of us that are catching hell because we are poor. Mm And I mean, my dear, listen, I, my mama voted a certain way. I voted a certain way. You know, I ain't a Democrat because, you know, I thought they were all, my mama was. Mm-hmm. And that's usually how people vote. Love the Clintons. I mean, the, the swag that I remember when he was on the Arsenio Hall mm-hmm. show playing the sax and right. all of that in our community about the swag, about the swag. He playing the sax he from the all of the things. Mm-hmm. I was swept up into that, too. Mm-hmm. I really did think the Clintons were all that. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Maya Angelou said, when you know better, you should do better. And once I came into the knowledge of, there's a book I want to recommend people to listen to, uh, read to, or listen to it, you can. It's called Listen Liberal. Mm. And this author breaks down the Clinton years and really like the truth of neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so we have other people in representing neoliberalism. And right now it happens to be President Joe Biden. Indeed it is. And people should also know that neoliberalism is always at the expense of folk who are not a part of the status quo. And that means that people are suffering from it, whether we acknowledge it or not, or if we are afraid. But I, I find solace in the generation behind me, the millennials, and the generation behind them, knowing that they are 42% something other than white, and they are not party loyalists. I laugh all the I time about so. the fact that it's 40 pair of jean companies now. It's not just Levi. You got to buy. You can get jeans from anywhere. It's 50, 60 pair of jeans that people are buying. And I think that's because that gen- our generation, uh, Sister Nina, w- was too small to change things. We had to keep buying Cocoa Pepsi because it was only 17 million of us. But this generation yeah. is 17 orange sodas out there right now. And I think it's because they pride themselves on the diversity of thought. And we also see that they're not as naive or as tuned out as the world wants them to believe just because they're in a phone all the time. We see young people performing at rates that baby boomers did, right? Like in 2018, they outperformed baby boomers. 2020, they performed at the same level. And they are the voting, they're the largest voting block. Those two voting blocks. They are. Baby boomers was the largest generation. Then it was millennials. Yeah. And the generation behind millennials is going to be bigger than even millennials. So I'm super excited about America being this young and not so white. And I feel like if, if we pay attention to the needs, if we're talking to these people, we can engage them in a way that other generations that were young didn't get like wrote off, like hippies got wrote off when they were young and, and finding themselves. So I think it's, it's, it's also we shouldn't continue to call them kids either, because I know baby. I know I know millennials that are grandparents. Right. People that went to school with me that are 40 years old that are grandmothers now, grandfathers. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, yeah. so I, I think I think uh, it, it behooves us to pay attention to those behind us. And I think we don't have the answers. When I say we, I'm talking about people older than us don't have the answers. They already ran their course. And I feel like we have the oldest Senate right now and more young people than we ever have. The Supreme Court is the oldest it's ever been. We got to do something about that. I mean, we already started doing something about that. There's a sister up there now. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but um, I think there's there's more to be done. In it, and I think it happens with unelected some incumbents. I feel like the power that our part of the Democratic Party missed, it, I'm talking about the progressives, is we spent too much time arguing with the neoliberals and not enough we time preparing our people for primaries. We don't need to have as much money as them. But we are obligated to outwork them in the primaries. And if we did that, we could control the narrative so much more. Because once we got through the primary system, then we would force the party to have to deal with us or support the Republican. And I know that's not that's above right. them, but but it would be less likely that they would. You know what I'm saying? It's not above them. And we saw it happen. I mean, with our sister, India Walton, she right. won the Democratic primary 
and Democrat status quo Democrats and status quo Republicans found a way to unite and beat her in that general election. Mm -hmm. So they will definitely I'll, I'll often say they will kill their own mama to stop a progressive. And I'm I'm not even calling us progressive because that word has been co-opted mm -hmm. now. So I, I'm calling us Mondale. I'm calling us a freedom fighting progressives. I got to put something else on it. Do it because I just can't even take it. Freedom fighting progressives, baby. If you ain't a freedom fighting progressive, that's okay. You can be slightly progressive because people do evolve over time. Mm -hmm. And I do leave room for that. I want that to be known. I leave room. But there is a difference between using the title for your political expediency, knowing that you ain't going to do a damn thing to change anything that puts you in jeopardy. There's a difference between that, just using the title mm. and living out mm. that progressive agenda, the ideas of it and willing to put something on the line and shake power trees and the promises of power that was written by Mayor Carl B. Stokes. He talks about being careful whose power trees you shake. If you ain't willing to shake some power trees, then you ain't a freedom fighting progressive. Absolutely. You just a wannabe. Absolutely. But you ain't. But you ain't. So, <laughs> but you ain't. Oh my God, brother, my dad, we're gonna have, we will have to do this again. I want to read a quote from you. And, and this has been so edifying, at least for my soul. So you made me think of the book from James Baldwin, that prolific 20th century novelist who was always spitting fire, but the book, The Fire Next Time, and we know that was a letter to his nephew, and it reads, please try to remember that what they believe as well as what they do and cause you to endure does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity. Can I just say that one more time? Yes. To his nephew, please try to remember that what they believe as well as what they do and cause you to endure does not testify to your inferiority, but to their inhumanity. Man. Mandel, take it, take it, baby. Whatever you want to do with that. That's the great and amazing James Baldwin. So in divinity school, I learned when somebody say something that's perfect, just say amen. So amen. <laughs> Me too. Me too. We come from that black church tradition. That's it. That's it. Yeah. He also went on. The most dangerous creation of any society is a man who has nothing to lose. My mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Brother Mondale. Lord, have mercy on our black souls. Yeah, we're going to have to do this again. I'm going to have to have you on here regularly. I know you're running for mayor. And uh, how can people find you both in terms of your run for mayor and then also for the organization Black Male Voter Project. Yeah, on all social media platforms with Black Male Voter Project, I am Mundale everywhere. Mundale Robinson, Twitter, Instagram, and also Facebook and YouTube as well, because that's where Black men, that's Black men's new encyclopedia, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to reach Black men and you ain't on YouTube, you're wasting your time. <laughs> Ooh, sister gonna have to be get on youtube a little more i'm on there a little bit but i need to dip in deeper <laughs> oh my god you are amazing in every way i know nothing but love for you uh, brother mondell just nothing but love and i'm glad that god has blessed and conditioned you and has given you the assignment that he has given you that you are unflinchingly black and you stand up for our people, and we definitely need that. In the words of the great Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm, unbought and unbossed.
change is coming, the pain is numbing. Try to shoot for the stars if you gon' aim for something. Embrace the love for your brother and sister. Unity's the missing brush, we need to puzzle this picture. Let's paint it up, frame it up, for the world to see. Hang the hatred up. Enough is enough, is enough. Making changes on us, in Turner. Her voice is the truth, her wise words inspire the youth to keep their eyes on the roof. It's the end, never give up, keep conquering goals. To the eye, intelligence, silver, wisdom is gold. Back to the end, now is your time, stay firm, don't fold. To the A, all you need is the three bones, that's what Granny said. Now I'ma make sure these words from Granny spread. For all the here, just give her your ear. She can take you to the promised land, I swear. World peace is what they fear. From Queens to Cleveland, Ohio, we here. Famous. Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.